So last week when I was leaving worship over in the sanctuary, I had a number of people who stopped me in the hallway and they came running up and they said, Matthew, uh, worship this morning was so spirit-filled, but I have to tell you, this was the first time I've been back on campus in like two years. And as they said that, um, tears began to well up in their eyes and they said, "I uh, I, I just don't have the words for how I feel right now. And in many ways I could see that they were trying to put into words what we have been focused on this Advent season, Uh, this word behold. This word that means uh, we can see, but not perceive. We can experience and yet not fully know, that we can walk through life and yet not be present to the presence of Christ that is found in and through all times and places. Uh, Folks that I ran into in the hallway last week, they knew something deep within them had stirred. They had an awakening, a returning, a welcoming. We're going to focus on this word behold this week and to that sense that comes to um, a group of shepherds. We know this story. It's uh, only found in the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to turn to Luke, the second chapter this morning, and I want you to listen for the word of the Lord to all of us this day through this story of God breaking into the world. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom God favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Awaken us, O God. Awaken us to your spirit that hovers here. That hovers in Founders Hall just as she hovered over the waters of creation. Reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words that they would be your word to us here and now. And breathe new life, O God, into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God. For you are our rock. You are our redeemer. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Twelve days, and then it's Christmas Eve. 
12 days, and then at 4 p.m. over in the sanctuary, we will have our annual children's and family Christmas worship experience. I say experience because it is utter chaos. It is very loud, and I will just say this, it is very holy, just like your chaotic and loud lives. In all of my years of doing the 4 o'clock family and children's service, I have come to learn something. There is a clear hierarchy between the characters found in the Nativity account. Because in Founders Hall, uh, we welcome all of our young people to come and to pick out their costumes. They get to play the role of the angel, uh, a king or a queen, or a shepherd. And you know this, I know this. There is a hierarchy in popularity. Uh, The angels are the most popular role to play. That that pack of costumes, it goes first. Then it is the king and the queens. That rack of costumes, that goes second. And then third, at the very bottom, are our shepherds. Now, if you were to walk into Jubilee Hall, after we had started the service, you would notice that there are still some shepherds' costumes hanging on the rack. Hanging there. Because no one picked them. They were, uh, even the kids and the families who uh, it took forever to get out of the house and you were wrestling just to put the socks on and they were running late, they ran into Jubilee Hall and they saw that there were only shepherd costumes there. And even those families are like, oh, why bother? You can be an angel, just go up. Those costumes are sitting there on the rack, sort of uh, away from all of the chaos and the noise and the joy found in the sanctuary. They can hear the echoes, but they're sort of out of the way. Sort of fitting, because uh, those costumes that that remain in Jubilee Hall are just like the shepherds found in the first century, by the way. Shepherds were always out of the way. They were meant to be that way. I grew up learning about shepherds in the Bible, and I learned about how hard it was uh, to just wrangle sheep and how easily uh, sheep can get lost because sheep aren't very smart. I learned uh, from the stained glass windows and sanctuaries that shepherds was an honorable role to play. Uh, We need to unlearn what we think we know about shepherds because shepherds in the first century, my dear friends, they do. They hang out on the margins because uh, they were supposed to be there. They were sentenced There, being a shepherd was less of a profession and much more of a sentence. Shepherds in the first century were those who had committed an act that broke trust of the community such that they could not be trusted to be in polite company. They had crossed a boundary that revealed that it was not safe to keep them around. And so shepherds in the first century were sent out into the margins of society as far away from the town center to do the job that no one else wanted to do. Watch over sheep. And when you watch over sheep and when you live on the margins and when you are away from polite company, It's worse than having a scarlet letter emblazoned on your sweater. 
It's actually even worse than wearing a cowbell around your neck because if you're a shepherd in the first century, you bear the mark of shame. You smell like a sheep. Now, here's the thing. We don't have sheep at my house. I'm sure there's an ordinance or something in my neighborhood. But my papa in South Carolina has goats and cows and sometimes a sheep. And when I was a little boy, we would hang out at Papa's land. And I'll just tell you, sheep and goats and cows, they smell. They stink. And if you are a shepherd in the first century and uh, you made your way anywhere near the town center, people could smell you from a block away. And with that smell, they would say, "Uh, that person, not safe. That person, stay away. That person, not supposed to be here. So it's sort of remarkable from the outside looking in that in our scripture passage tonight, or this morning, that the shepherds are among the first not only to know this good news for all people, but they are the first to experience this good news because they say, let us now go to Bethlehem, the land of bread. Let us go to Bethlehem so that we can experience this Christ ourselves. Shepherds, those deemed to not be safe, those who are supposed to live on the margins, those are some of the first people that God comes to. Which tells us something if we look at the external message of our text. Turns out that there is not a person ever that this good news is not meant for. We could dig in this text and make the argument that there is no person, no matter what they have done against the world, that is to be excluded from this good news. It turns out there is no person that isn't worthy enough to experience the Christ. It would, um, it would be like if there were people in this world that we thought, you know what, uh-uh, not even them. And it turns out that the Christ came and worked through them, and that news found its way to us, it would almost uh, startle us. It would almost awaken a truth in us that uh, would overwhelm us. In 2016, uh, there was a kid. He was um, at a prep school in California, this prep school, all-boys school. It, uh, 80% of its students were on financial aid. This kid was on financial aid until uh, his family experienced a series of health events, and they struggled to pay the discounted tuition. His family was asked to pay $11,900 a year in tuition, subsidized from $32,000 a year uh, to go to this prep school. His dad was a limo driver uh, and had uh, a cardiac issue and was hospitalized, and they didn't have any money. There was a teacher in the school. He was the English teacher, but he was also the theology teacher. And this theology teacher went to a group of donors and said, hey, um, we have this kid in our school, and his family just went through a health crisis, and he uh, can't afford the subsidized tuition. Uh, Could you help? And this group of donors said, "Uh, let's see what we can do. And they uh, got together, they huddled up, and they said, you know what? If we pull our resources, then I bet that we could help this kid. So they went back to the English teacher, who was also the theology teacher, and said, you know what? Um, We'll take this guy on. And he said, really? They said, 
yep, we'll do it for this year. And how many more years? He said three years. He's still got to get through his junior year and his senior year. They said, you know what? We'll take him on for uh, all three years. And this English teacher, theology teacher said, are you sure about this? Well, he's a lot of money. And this group of donors said, yeah, 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 we can do it. We'll do it. We're committed to it. This English teacher um, and this theology teacher, uh, they knew this group of donors because they had been leading a book study for this group for uh, the last 10 years. This group of donors happened to be um, a group of prisoners at the Soledad State Prison in California. And this group of prisoners uh, worked a prison job, paid somewhere around eight cents an hour. They could work an entire month and make about $20 a month. This group of book study guys who have now become donors pulled together their resources and um, scholarshiped this young man, Ty Newsom, for $32,000 total over three years. Ty had never met these people. And when he became a senior and he could then lead that group of men in a book group, at the Soledad State Prison in California, um, before he walked in to lead them in the book study, these prisoners stood up, and as he walked into the room, do you know what they did? They gave him a standing ovation. Because they knew him. They loved him. Someone uh, from the newspaper, you know, newspapers get a hold of these stories, and they ask, why did you do this? They said, because all of us deep down, want to do something for others. Oh, behold. Behold. For I bring you good news of great joy for all people. That word, all, three letters, but apparently it means more than we think it does. That's the external message of this text. It would be easy to stop there, wouldn't it? Let's look to the internal message of this text that awakens us uh, from what that story has just taught us. The internal message of this text is uh, this good news is waiting for us in the darkness of our lives. It's easy to talk about shepherds who end up on the margins of society for an act that they have created uh, and who smell like the shame that they carry every day. It's easy to talk about shepherds who aren't allowed in polite company and you could smell them from a mile away. Uh, but let's flip it and make it an internal message. Where are the places in your life where if someone knew what you know and they said it out loud, you would be embarrassed? You would be outed. Where are the places in your life, uh, maybe it's something from your past that people still talk about and it's sort of become gossip and fodder and you walk around on eggshells because you think, oh my God, I, I, are they still talking about that? Is there a place in your life that you carry such pain and such darkness? Maybe it is shame. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a place of brokenness that you don't know what to do with and you can't carry it anymore and it feels like utter darkness to you. This text reveals to us that that darkness is not a place that you should turn away and run from, but it is in that very darkness 
where the Christ child wants to be reborn again. And not only does the Christ child want to be reborn again, that in the deepest darkness of your life, whatever it is, and I've never met a person who's not carrying something, that place is the place where the Christ will be born. Several years ago, I preached this text. I was an associate, and um, we had invited my friend Lyle Garrity um, to come to the service. It was an evening service. It was like the fourth Sunday of Advent, like the time when associates usually get to preach, and so I'm up there preaching this text, and uh, my friend Lyle uh, was invited to the service that night, and so Lyle is an artist, and Lyle uh, came and set up a giant canvas just right there uh, in the chancel of uh, the chapel where we were. And throughout the whole night, Lyle uh, stayed in the chancel, and with charcoal, um, she interpreted the good news of this text through uh, liturgy, song, and through spoken word preaching. And she produced this charcoal rendering of this text. It hangs in my office now hangs right over the couch. And I've been meditating, just looking upon Lyle's interpretation of this text all week. And the more I uh, looked at this photo, like I see the angel and I see the wings, I, I, you know, I see the hills and the darkness, I see just a little bit of light, but there are a couple uh, key characters who are missing from this re rendering. Not a shepherd to be found. No sheep to be herded. And as I looked at this charcoal rendering this week, I thought, oh yeah, there are no shepherds in that. Because we are the shepherds looking into the darkness. We are the shepherds looking into the promise of God that says in the midst of whatever we carry and whatever darkness and whatever pain and whatever shame and whatever memories and whatever brokenness that we think we have, that is the promise, not that happened to a, a group of people a long time ago, but we are the shepherds and that is our life and the promise that is to be found there. For behold, the text says, I bring you good news of great joy. So my dear friends, 12 days from now, there will be shepherd costumes hanging on a rack. No one will have picked them. Because we don't have to. Shepherds don't have a particular costume. They're dressed just like me and you. And the Christ will be born and light will shine in the darkness that we thought would never see the light of day again. <laughs> so may we behold that good news.
Will you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us and mold us and fill us and use us. Even in the very places that we think are so far apart from you. All the boundaries we think that will ultimately separate us from you. Fall afresh on those places that we might see all of our life is the very place of new beginnings, of hope, and of the joy that is to be found in that awakening. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.